raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeanette. Bit of a different morning, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's actually, a, in one way, a good thing. Uh, we know that um, everything that happens is, is under God's sovereign control, right? Uh, and so it can actually be a good thing when we're attuned to the difference of what we're doing here when we gather, right? And especially on Easter Sunday, uh, the fact that there's, there's no microphone, that we, we hear each other's voices a bit more clearly when we're singing. I was standing down the front here and hearing you really clearly. And when you said, thanks be to God after the reading, I heard that booming loud and clear. <laughs> That's, those are all really good things. And we, we are doing something really different here this morning. So that's actually a good thing for, for our minds to be sharpened with that reality. Uh, now, kids, there's something a little bit different for you this morning as well, if you like. Uh, there's a sheet that hopefully you got on the way in. Uh, if not, there's a few still out on there. Mum or Dad could just go get one for you. It has a colour in on one side and then also a bit of a worksheet on the other that we'll be talking about as we go through the sermon. So if you see that sheet there, you keep that in front of you while I'm talking then uh, I'll be bringing you back to it every now and then. You've got your colour pencils, hopefully, so you can colour in and you can write a few things on. There's some pencils up the back in the corner there if you need them. How about we pray? We'll get into things. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us, your grace to us, your mercy, which is new every morning and is here for us this morning in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us now just to focus our scattered attention, our scattered thoughts, even our scattered senses onto the reality of you in our midst, us with each other, and what you want to say to us through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, every Easter long weekend, I wonder if you've noticed how religious Aussies are. We are actually very, very religious. Uh, Think about it. Every Easter, thousands of Australians, thousands of people from around our country gather for worship. I wonder if you've noticed this. They'll get up early in the morning. They'll throw their kids half asleep into the car. They'll sometimes drive for hours just for the privilege. Seriously, seriously. Uh, Sometimes they'll pay for parking if they've got to. And then they'll wait in line, joining their fellow pilgrims, ready for worship. In fact, they might even pray as they're waiting in line because they really don't want to miss out on this religious experience into which they're about to enter. And as they stand there, all around them are reminders of the heavenly destination to which their pilgrimage leads. TV screens, posters... Uh, In fact, if they're standing in just the right spot in line, they might see out the window people embarking on their heavenly pilgrimage. Let me show you a picture of this religious site that I'm talking about. 
if uh, it needs to just be on the screen there. There it is. This is Sydney Airport just a couple of days ago. Now, kids, kids, can you see a picture of a plane on your sheet? Can you find it? Can you see it? Top left corner of your page. Now, what's it mean, kids, when you're on a plane? It means you're going on a holiday. That's right. You're going on a holiday. And lots of people love holidays, don't they? I love holidays. But why do I say that this might be worship? Why might this be worship? Why is this religious, perhaps? Well, for a number of reasons. People save up money for holidays. I save up money for holidays. People spend time and they devote attention to holidays. Holidays capture our imagination. Sometimes they're what we think about when we have nothing else on our mind. We're thinking about the next big holiday. Apparently, the line here at Sydney Airport just a couple of days ago was a four to six hour line just to check in through security. Right? How's that? Now, people were ready to wait in a line like that. Who's willing to do it? Someone who's really devoted to going on a holiday. That's why I say it's almost a bit religious. It's almost a bit like worship. Now, some people live for holidays. It's a bit like in ordinary life, I'm stuck on a treadmill, working, raising a family, whiling away my retirement, and the holiday is the moment where I can hit the stop button on the treadmill get off and experience something exciting or something relaxing, right? This is the break in life that I really look forward to. And for some Aussies, this is what they're about. I can't wait for my holiday. I live for it. Now, we can look at other worship sites packed with people this weekend as well. Um, here are a couple more. And my click is not working, so I'll need you to do it, Rob. Uh, on the top left, a shopping centre. The beach, that's right. You can almost make a point of, of setting up tents and lying prostrate and baptising yourself in the ocean. You, you could go really far with all this, right? Uh, now, now, enjoy the shopping centre this weekend, by all means, when it's open. And enjoy the beach. Go for a surf, go for a swim. It's great. But again, for some Aussies, this is what they are really about. And when they've got time to themselves on the Easter long weekend, they're four days off, where do we get that? Four days off and now I'm going to do what I love. I'm going to do what I live for, whether it's the holiday, the beach, the shops, family, relationships, whatever it might be. So that's why I say Aussies are really religious around Easter time. They're worshippers at Easter time. They do what they really love. They do what they really live for. Now, and you might be hearing all this and you might say, well, it's a good thing that I'm not like those people. The ones skipping church at Easter, those sinners out there, right? Good thing I'm here. <laughs> and yes, good thing to be at church on Easter long weekend. Fantastic. Uh, but I want us to see something else. Because if we're not careful, coming to church on Easter can be totally meaningless for us. It can actually be totally pointless. Because I can come here for an hour listen to some bloke get up and, and talk about some stuff, right? And then leave totally unchanged when I head back out into ordinary life in the world. A world full of religious worship, let us not forget. <laughs> uh, a world full of invitations to live for experiences 
and to live for consumption and to live for leisure and to live for whatever else. And so this morning, I don't want us just to hear the Easter story. I don't want us just to look at a cross or a crown leaning up against the wall and go, wow, that's so lovely to be reminded. I don't even want us to leave here going how good it is that I believe these things. These are things we must believe, but it's more than that. There's a big question I want us to ask. How is Easter shaping me? How is it shaping me? How is it shaping my life? Because we're shaped by one of two things, inevitably. We will either be shaped by the world or this Easter story. Put it another way, we'll either be shaped by the world or the gospel. And so Easter must shape us, or we will be shaped by the world and all the religious sites we just looked at before. To put it another way, the gospel must shape us. Or to put it yet another way, the true and good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for us must shape our lives. Now, how can that happen? How can these things that we talk about and you've probably heard dozens of times in your life, if not more, actually shape our lives today. I'll tell you how. It's because Jesus' death and resurrection, even though they happened 2,000 years ago, profoundly changed the lives of those who trust in him. At the most fundamental level, Jesus' death and resurrection, this Easter story, changes the who, the where, and the how of my life. Who I am, where I'm going, and how I live. Who I am, where I'm going, how I live. The good news of Easter has to shape these things. And we see this as we open up to today's passage. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Now you'll find it, if you've got a Bible that looks like this, uh, it's on page 942. So open up to that, if you've got your Bible. If not, you can just Google on your phone, Type the word Romans, write the number 6, it'll come straight up. Romans 6 on page 942. I'm going to read verse 5 for us here. We start to see this link between what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and our lives today. Chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him, that is with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And the key word here is the word united. United. In the original language, which here is Greek, that word united actually has another shade of meaning to it that we don't capture in English. The shade of meaning is it's, it's united in a way that's like two things growing together. Okay, like, like two trees almost. And kids, take a look at your page again. Can you see a picture of two trees? Somewhere on your page. See if you can find it. It's a little bit tricky. In the bottom right hand corner, there are two trees. And what are they doing? They're growing together. They're twining around each other. Maybe you've seen trees like this before, like vines growing together, growing up, uh, or like a thick forest. When you look out at the bush, and it's almost like the trees are so close together that there are no gaps. 
That's what it means to be united to Christ. See, when we choose to trust in Jesus, we are united to him so closely that what is true of him becomes true of us. Notice how verse 5 puts it. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. So this isn't just stuff that happened a couple of thousand years ago and has no bearing on our lives today. Actually, we're talking about being united with Christ in such a way that his story and the Easter story becomes our story. We're immersed into it. Now, how does that work? Well, first, Jesus' death and resurrection change who I am. Take a look at verse 6 with me. Who I am. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Kids, once again, you can see a picture on your sheet, a picture of a mirror. And there are some blank letters next to it. And I want you to write in the letters, who I am. Who I am. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus changes who I am. And in the mirror, I want you to draw a picture of your face. Okay? Whatever colors you want to do, you can make your hair long or short, whatever you want it to be. Draw a picture of your face in that mirror. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to change who I am? What's to do with being united with him in a death and resurrection like his? See, it means something happens to our identity. Something shifts in who we are. Like this verse is saying, the old self, the old identity is brought to what? What's it say? Take a look. Brought to? Not brought to life. Brought to nothing. Brought to nothing. The old self is brought to nothing. There's an identity I used to have before I was in Christ. And now there's a new identity I take up. Now what does this old identity, the old self, actually look like? Who is this old self? Well, again, remember, we can be shaped by one of two things, the world or the gospel. So we look at what the world says about us, and we actually come face to face with the old self. Who does the world say that I am? The world says, whoever you want to be. Be whoever you want to be, whoever you feel yourself to be. Be authentic. Be yourself. For example, here's an advertisement. This is from Ray-Bans. They had a campaign about a decade ago. Never hide. Now, what do you notice about this advertisement? What sticks out to you? Just call out. She's hiding. Yep, she's hiding behind sunglasses. A bit of an irony, isn't it? Yep. What else? Just call it out, Juanita. Yep. Yeah, very good. She's in colour. Did you notice that? Yeah. And the background's it. So there's, there's ordinary life, right? Ordinary people trudging around the city, just doing their things, right? That's black and white, boring, humdrum. But you, you're in full colour. You're an individual, right? You're being authentic to yourself. You're someone who's different if you wear Ray-Bans. <laughs> That's the message. Now, they had another advertisement as well. Here's another one. Uh, never hide, once again. I actually kind of like this one. Uh, it's like a sporting event. It is. It's a sporting event. Yep, this is a race. Sorry. And you can see the top top guy, gold medal and silver medal. Look at their faces. Oh. That is very serious. 
You know, I've won this very important race. Here's the bronze medal. He didn't even win, but he's stoked. Why is he stoked? He's just being himself. That's why he's jumping for joy, wearing whatever he wants, doing whatever he wants. And everyone else, look at the number one guy. He's looking down on him. He can't be like that. But no, Ray-Ban says, yes, you can. Be yourself. <laughs> now, these, these advertisements are actually looked at as like really good examples of effective ads. Uh, they were so effective, actually, they became more and more sort of daring in what they represented. Uh, they, they went much further. And there's one uh, I won't show you now, but it features a, a very sharply dressed couple walking down the street, two men, actually, holding hands. And again, it's that never hide, right? Be yourself. Be whoever you want to be. Uh, there's another with a, a transgender woman in the middle, dancing, having a great time. So they, they really start sort of pushing an ideology with these ads. But they're very, very effective. Um, they, they were very effective at driving up Ray-Ban sales. And why is that? Why is that? Why was this ad campaign so successful? I think because it taps into the deeply held belief that all of us naturally have about ourselves, which is that I'm in charge. I get to determine who I am. I'm in charge of my life. Who I am is my choice. I call the shots, not God, not anyone else. Now, that's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just a silly thing I do. Sin is ultimately saying, I'm the one in charge of my life, not God. In fact, it's, it's more than that. Often it's shaking our fists at the idea of God and saying, get out of my life. I don't want you, whether we say that consciously or subconsciously. And as we heard on Good Friday when Rob preached, that sin will lead to God's judgment. Right? This is black and white. I know it's hard. I know it's often offensive. But this sin will lead to God's judgment. He will not let us keep shaking our fists at him forever. He will call us to account for the way we've treated him. And so as verse 6 says... We are enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to it. Without Christ, we're under sin's power. See, all we ever do is pull away from God. All we ever do is, is want more of our life under our own control, more of our life distant from Him. Even our best, most loving, most good actions are still shaking our fist at God. Right? Because it's what I think is best. I'm in charge. That's the old self. But, as verse 6 says, if we are united in Christ, then that was the old self. That was my sinful self, shaking my fist at God. Can you recognize that as your past? Or is it your present? Verse 6 says, if you are in Christ, it is your past. You were bound for God's judgment. But if I'm united to Christ, then my old self was crucified with him. Do you see that there? Just like we heard on Good Friday, Jesus gave his life, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He took our sinful actions, our sinful identity, our shaking our fists at God on himself, he was treated as the sinner deserving of judgment, though he deserved no judgment. And there, on the cross, as he died, he took our sin with him and he took our judgment upon himself. 
his death was the death of our old sinful self. Do you see? And here's what that means. If I am in Christ, I'm no longer my old sinful self. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In his death, Jesus dealt with our sin. He died. Our old self died with him. Remember the two trees growing together. And what that means is I'm no longer my old self. I'm now a freed person. Freed from the dominion of sin. No longer a slave. In fact, someone who is forgiven and free and new. Now we'll still struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. We'll still face temptation. We'll still at times shake our fist at God. We're still human. We still struggle. But who we are at our core has radically changed because of Jesus' death. Now, the way that the scriptures put it elsewhere is this in 2 Corinthians verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And notice what happened here. What happens here? The old has what? Passed away, and the new has come. The old identity gone. A new identity taken up. My old sinful self replaced with righteousness in Christ. Now, kids, take a look at the picture that hopefully you drew in the mirror there. Or if you didn't draw a picture of yourself in the mirror, just imagine looking in the mirror. Imagine your face in the mirror. Now, did you know that if you trust in Jesus, his death and resurrection for you, then he actually changes you into someone new? Still the same name, still the same body, still you, but he changes you into someone new. He doesn't see you as someone who sins anymore. He sees you as someone who is a new person and forgiven and free in Christ. That is a marvelous thing that Jesus has done. Next time you look in a mirror, think about that. How Jesus, if we trust him, changes us into a new person. So who am I? No longer my old sinful self. Someone who's forgiven and free and new. Someone united to him in a new righteous identity. And this doesn't automatically apply to everyone. It's worth noting. This isn't automatic. The next verse, verse 8. It starts with the word, if. That's a word expressing conditionality. Now, if. We have died with Christ, that is our old sinful self crucified with him. Then we believe that we will also live with him. So here's the question. Are you currently united to Christ? Are you currently trusting in his death and resurrection for you? Or are you currently living in a way that says, no, God has no place in my life. I am going to do what I want. Is who you are shaped by what Jesus has done? This weekend, how can you immerse yourself more in that story and that reality? Now, Jesus' death and resurrection change our identity, but there's also more. They also change where I'm going. Take a look at verse 9 with me. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now, before we say anything about this, what this means, it's important just to know that, that we're talking about historical reality here. 
this is not just pie in the sky, you know, we, we kind of lean on a crutch of maybe the idea of Jesus symbolically rising from the dead or something like that. No, we're talking about real historical reality. This isn't a myth. It's not a legend that just grew in the church over time. Okay? Uh, one point of evidence for that is that Jesus' very first followers, uh, this guy here, Paul, who wrote this letter, um, we were reading before from Luke. Luke was, was one of the guys that was well known as one of Jesus' early followers. And even going further back, his 12 disciples, right? Many of these guys claimed to see Jesus risen from the dead. They claimed to see him with their own eyes. They even claimed to touch him, right? A real resurrected body, the same person who went into the grave but came up gloriously renewed. They saw him, they touched him, they spoke with him, they spent time with him. And then many of these guys then went to their deaths for that truth. Now, I don't know if you would be willing to die for something that you know is a lie. I wouldn't. If this was just a scam, if this is something for, you know, self-gratification or, or building up something in my life, then I'd give up the moment someone points a gun to my head. Right? Okay, you got me. None of these guys did that. Some were crucified. Some were sent to exile. Some were, were set aflame. Now, you've got to do something with that. If you're not someone who believes this is historical reality, consider that fact. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Now, the meaning of that is it means death no longer has a hold over him because someone can only die once, right? You can't die and then die again. <laughs> you die once. And so he died and then took up his life again by his own authority as a son of God, never to die again. In the words of verse 10, For the death he died, he died to sin. Remember, he took our old sinful self upon himself. He died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Death no longer has the last word. It came for Jesus, as it comes for all of us, but he conquered it. Jesus conquered death. Death comes for us, for all of us. But if we're united with Christ in a resurrection like his, then death will not be the end for us either. This changes where I'm going. Where am I going if I'm united with Christ? I'm going to share eternity with Jesus and his people. We're going to heaven. We're going to the new heavens and the new earth. We're raised to life forever. See, the, the plane has a destination, if you want. Jesus is raised to life eternal, so shall I be. This is the power of God. And kids, you might notice on your sheet, there's a picture of a grave. And I didn't want it to be too scary, so I put a big red X through the grave. And I want you to make that X even more red or even more scribbly, okay? Like, cross out that grave. Because this is what Jesus has done. He's made it so that we won't end up in a grave forever. Right? If we trust in him, he raises us to eternal life to enjoy heaven with him and his people. So you can cross out that grave and you can write next to it where I'm going. If you trust in Jesus, kids, you're not going just to the grave. You will be raised to life with Jesus forever. Now, on the other hand, 
think about the story that the world tells us. Again, just think about the world and its thinking around us. We're so immersed in this. The story that the world tells us is death absolutely is the end. That's it. You have one life. Make the most of it. Either get as much success as you can, get as much stuff as you can, be as happy as you can, whatever the case may be. But since this is all I've got, live for now. Now that's one story, and we all know that one. There's a second story the world tells. I think it's much more interesting than the first. The second story is that since death is the end, we must never, ever, 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 ever really talk about it. Right? You know what I mean? Cover up the aging process with as much makeup as possible. Take the old people, I don't mean this offensively, but take the old people and put them out of sight in a nursing home, something like that, where they, they die in quietness and away from everyone's view. Okay? Again, not trying to be offensive. Uh, watch people perish in gory ways on the silver screen, sure, but never ever reflect on the true reality of this because it's, it's, I think for a lot of people, it's just so inevitable and so unstoppable that it's too scary to actually really confront. Now, strong Christians can still also fear death. That's a normal emotion. Um, you might have heard about Tim Keller. He's a, a, quite a famous and fruitful and, and really godly pastor uh, in the United States. He, he has quite a, a ministry that, that sort of extends the world over. Uh, a while ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And the success rate of, of remission of that particular kind of cancer is, is very, very low. Uh, he found that just like everyone else, remember this very fruitful, well-known pastor, he feared death. Death came knocking and he was scared. He grieved, he cried, he and his wife were, were distraught. Um, but here's what he said as he processed his grief and his fear. Listen to these words. He said, I had to look hard at my deepest trusts, my strongest loves and fears, and bring them into contact with God. The reality of God and his promises grew on me. My imagination became more able to visualize the resurrection and rest my heart in it. Most particularly for me as a Christian, Jesus' costly love, death and resurrection had become not just something I believed and filed away, but a hope that sustained me all day. Now that's a man who knows where he's going. It's not just something he believes and goes, ah, oh, yes, yes, files it away. This is shaping him. And it has to, because death is knocking at his door. It's in that context that you need a hope that's going to sustain you all day. Tim Keller's found it. What about you? The Easter story is better than anything the world can give us because it's a story, a true story, that keeps on giving. Right? The world's story is, this is it, make the most of it, and it's 70, 80 years at most. At most. Being united to Christ promises eternal joy. And in the meantime, hope that you can rest your heart in all day. <laughs> Do you have that hope today? Do you have it? Do you know where you're going and why? Because if your answer to that is, because I'm a good person, then this isn't what you're going to receive. No, the answer has to be unity with Jesus in a death like his and a life like his. Are you united with him? Is your resurrection his resurrection? Again, this weekend, if you're sure that you're united to Christ, 
How can you immerse yourself more in this true story and let it shape you? It has to. It shapes who we are, shapes where we're going, and finally, briefly, it shapes how we live. This is where the past and the future pull us together into the present. The past, who I was, and who Jesus has now made me to be. The future, where I'm going, eternity with God and his people. And these two facts, past and future, bring us into the present, shaping how I now live as someone made new by Jesus and as someone going to be with Jesus and his people forever. A changed identity, a secure future. They change now how we live, and they must. As verse 11 puts it, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now this whole idea, consider yourself now someone who's dead to sin and alive to God, this whole idea actually frames the passage we've been looking at. We've just read out verses 5 to 11, but you can go back before this, sort of the bookends, verse 4, if you take a look at that on your page, on your, on your Bible, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And you hear the, the echoes there of what we've been talking about. His death, our death, his resurrection, our resurrection. There's this talk about baptism too, which is where we publicly symbolise our faith in Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. We publicly put our faith on display like Carrie ann did last week and, and Caleb and Jeff. Uh, beautiful moment. And it pictures the death of our old self going down into the water. And it pictures being raised to a new identity, a new life in Christ. It pictures that we'll be raised forever to be with him and his people, right? But where that converges is on that last bit that we too might walk in newness of life. It affects the present. Now, kids, again, you might see one final picture on your sheet there, a picture of two shoes. And you can decorate those shoes however you like. Decorate them to be the, the sort of shoes that you want to wear, if you like. And those shoes remind us that when we trust in Jesus, we actually have to walk in a new direction in life. We don't walk the old way in our sinful self. We walk a new way, the way that Jesus wants us to. Here's another way of thinking about it. Uh, my lovely wife, Skye, has, um, you might notice her hobbling around at the moment. She's got a walking cane. It's like a vision into the future. Right? <laughs> so, some of you could probably give us some tips. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, the future pulled into the present. Um, she, uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but uh, she's fine. She's okay. She just got a sprained ankle. Uh, it's a story to do with, what would you say, a slippery dip? And nighttime, nighttime and a group of rowdy friends uh, from this church. So there you go. I won't say anything more. Uh, she is fine. She's not too bad. But, but when someone hurts their foot, I notice this, walking is just a real pain, right? You Literally. You, you notice, in fact, and Sky's noticed this, you, you are no longer just doing this automatically. You, know, you walk automatically. You don't think about the steps you take. But really what walking is, is just a series of steps. It's a series of choices that your brain makes one by one. And that's, a, that's actually a good illustration of this newness of life, walking in the newness of life that Paul talks about here. Walking doesn't happen automatically. Living the way Jesus wants us to live doesn't happen automatically. It's a series of small steps, a series of small choices that add up over time. Verse 12 to 13, 
If you come down the page, bring that out really clearly. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that is your body and your mind, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. A series of choices, one by one, step by step. Will I let sin reign in me? Will I live like who I was? Or will I live as someone free from sin, who I truly am now in Christ? Will I live with someone who has God as their king, or will I still live as though I'm in charge of my life? Will I live with, as someone bound for heaven, bound for eternal life, or will I still live as someone actually bound for judgment? These are the questions that we actually ask ourselves each day and each choice that we make. See, being united with Christ in a death and resurrection like his must change how we live. Which is why verse 11, just coming back up, uses the phrase, consider yourselves. Think about it. Look at yourself. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Who are you? Consider yourself that you're no longer who you were and you're no longer where you were going. You are dead to sin, your old self gone, and now you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're a new person bound for eternal life. Now remember, the world says, be true to yourself. Be true to who you feel you are. Be authentic. And in one sense, that's right. Be true to yourself. But not in just the way of who you feel yourself to be. Instead, be true to who you really are in Christ. If you really are united to Jesus. If you are, then here's who you really are. You are a child of God. You are in Christ. You are full of the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven, free, and new. You are the beloved of God. And you are His possession. To be offered, to be used in the way that He desires. He is your good King. And where you're going, eternity. Not just 70, 80 years and then the grave. But life with Jesus forever. So live as someone who already lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, tough question, but this is how we actually know if the events of Easter are shaping us. Am I living differently to before? What I love, what I want, what I choose, is it different because I'm united to Christ? And this is where I just want to draw your attention back to Carrie ann and, and Jeff and Caleb's baptisms a few weeks ago. How good was it hearing their testimonies of what the Lord has done in their lives? Because one of the things that really came out was like this before and after. Now, Carrie ann and Jeff and Caleb, just like me, are people who still struggle with sin, right? Carrie ann laughs because it's true. Um, now, but you do hear, here's who I was before and here's who I am now in Christ. Uh, like, for example, before, I wanted nothing to do with church. Now, I love being part of a church family. Before, I had no hope. Depressed, in darkness. Now, I have hope in Christ. Before, struggling with, with addictions. Now, I actually have power in the Holy Spirit 
to see progress with those addictions, right? This is the difference Jesus makes. I'm not yet who I ought to be, of course, but I'm changing because Jesus is changing me. The story, the reality of Easter has to shape us like this. And just to conclude, this is one of the good things about having a seasonal event on our calendar like Easter, right? It's almost a a moment just to put our heads above water again. Uh, It invites us to gather, to pause, to consider. It invites us to be shaped by Jesus again. And so today I want to encourage you to take time to do that. Not just the time we have this morning, but, but sometime today, sometime tomorrow, take some time to consider these things more. Family lunches are great, the beach is great, but don't let Easter be meaningless for you. Don't just leave here and go, that was nice. Let these things shape you. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or as a result of what you've heard today or on Good Friday, you're sort of wondering, am I a Christian? Am I really? If you're not, now's the time to ask, then why not? What's keeping you from trusting Jesus and being united to him? What's stopping you from having his death as your death and his resurrection as your resurrection? Don't waste this weekend. Ask the questions. Talk with someone. Talk with someone here before you go. And if you would call yourself a Christian, what could you do this weekend to be immersed more in these stories and this reality? Well, perhaps you could have a conversation with someone today about what all of this means in your life personally. Again, don't waste it. Don't, don't just waste this time together. Right, grab a hot cross bun and away you go. No, have a conversation. Maybe share a story about how being united to Jesus has changed your life. How you are now living differently. How your hope is now different. How who you are is now different. Talk about something that you're struggling with, particularly if it's an area of sin. We all struggle. Um, And then share why eternal life is such good news for you. Or what you could do, this is an interesting one, ask someone how they've seen your life change because of Jesus. Often other people know us better than we know ourselves. They see us more clearly than we see ourselves. Ask someone, have you seen me change because of Jesus? And sometime before you head back to work and the rest of life, life, you might just take some time to pray and be with the Lord. You might go for a silent walk. You might open your Bible and just read through the gospel accounts slowly and consider what these things mean for who you are, where you're going, and how you live. Because what an immeasurably good thing that Christ has done for us. Let's pray now. Lord, we pray with thankfulness and with awe and with a desire to be shaped by you. Please help us to take these things on and by your spirit would you apply them to our minds, our bodies, our souls, every part of us. Lord, we, for those of us willing, we, we present ourselves to you as people to be shaped by you because we've been saved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.